Let's stay in that moment of worship for just a little bit longer. Father, thank You for the gift of Jesus. Thank You that in Jesus we have all that we need. And now as we wait for Jesus to return and live now the life that Jesus has asked us to live, we acknowledge that the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and we need Your help. So speak to us even today. Father, I pray that you will sovereignly superintend the words of my mouth and the listening of this audience so that when my words connect specifically and directly to what you want said and your truth, they will remember deeply. And if anything I say today does not reflect your truth or connect with your word, they'll forget before they get out the door. Because, Father, we're here for you and to learn from You, and we depend upon You, Holy Spirit, as we reflect on what Jesus means to us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. Thank you. You can be seated. Uh, Delighted to be with you. You know, there's a great relationship between Trinity and Christ Church, and we're so thrilled about that. Pastor Mike is too humble to tell you this, but in May at graduation, we honored him as the alumnus of the year. And in our latest Trinity magazine, we have a full-page spread. He won't show it to you, but you can go to our webpage, tiu.edu, and just type in his name, and you'll be able to see the one-page spread about uh, Pastor Mike and the way in which he was honored as alumnus of the year at the university. But we really appreciate our connection. Our connection includes so many of your pastors here graduated from the school. Many of you have. Many of you are currently students. You've taken classes. Two of your members are board members, Mark Neiman and Charlene Kalabak. And we just thank you for the way in which you minister to us and partner with us as a university. Do you remember when you were in grade school? Do you remember you'd go away for the summer, and then when you first came back, you would do this, what I did over the summer? Remember that? Well, can I do that with you? Uh, Go ahead and put the slide up on the screen if you would. Uh, This summer I had the opportunity to be in Alaska, and one of the places we stopped was the Annan Bear Observatory. Now, what you need to understand is this is not a zoo. This is bear country. We humans are foreign to this country. This is their country. This is their habitat. And so when you get to the mainland and you start to uh, get off the boat there and and get ready for the tour, the guides have to explain things to you. No sudden movement, no loud noise, uh, never, never, ever run, and never look a bear in the eye. And then they put an armed guard, or excuse me, armed, armed uh, tour guide, felt like guard in the front, and an armed tour guide in the back, and they've got rifles and shotguns and handguns, and they've got this big thing of bear mace, you know, uh, that they have as well. And so you walk a little over half a mile till you get to the observatory. And then when you get to the observatory, you find all kinds of bears. And one of the things that happened to us is we were at the observatory, it's, just a, it's really only a deck. It's like the deck in my backyard is all it is. And It's only about as high as where I am, and you can imagine as these brown and black bears mingle around, they they get quite impressive, and it was time for us to leave, and when you leave the deck, you close the gate, and you're you're there. And so it was our turn, uh, the 12 of us, the guide in the front, the guide in the back, and the 10 in between, to go. And so we start out, we get three steps down from the deck, and a bear comes in behind us, big black bear. I'll show you his picture in a minute, okay? But you can see here a little bit. You can see him back there. But he's only about six feet from the back of our group. Then, next slide, 
what happens is uh, you can see the black bear a little bit better. Next slide. And then what you can see is this brown bear comes and sits down right in front of us, about six feet ahead of the first guy. So we're trapped. We have a black bear behind us, a brown bear in front of us, wild, and we're stuck. And we stand there, and the guide in the front's kind of frozen. He didn't know what to do. The guide in the back's like this. And the reason he is, next slide, watch what's happening here. See this black bear? See him stomping? He's stomping like this, and he's clicking his teeth. And in our training, before we started on the tour, they said, if that happens, the bear's ready to attack. And so be real still. So what am I doing? I'm snapping these pictures. <laughs> this is great stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited. And, so, and people said, how could you be so excited? Why weren't you afraid? It's simple, folks. It's simple. You can't outrun a bear. You just got to outrun everybody else in your group. That's all you got to do, okay? But here was my dilemma. You, you, may, you may be aware of the fact that last fall we received a one-time $30 million gift for the university. Well, in the group with us was this couple that had given that gift. So my dilemma was, well, I can't run faster than them, right? Because they're more important to the university than I am. So there you go. What does that have to do with the sermon? Nothing whatsoever. I just wanted to tell you that story. Uh, my summer and what happened. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I regularly uh, exercise. I go to the cycling studio or bike outside. I, I enjoy cycling. And I'd been to the cycling studio at the fitness center and had put my exercise clothes, clothes in my athletic bag and left them in the back of the car. And then when I get home, I take them and, and put them in. Carolyn hates the smell of these clothes. Actually, I, I hate the smell of them as well. But they're, they're really stinky, nasty things. Well, I forgot them overnight. So when I went out in the morning and I opened the car, I was like, what is that smell? And I realized, oh, I'd left my exercise clothes. And so I brought it in, and even our 85-pound Labrador was backing up. I mean, it was that bad. And Carolyn said, you will put that directly in the washing machine. You will not let it touch anything. And so I put it in the washing machine. Let me read Colossians chapter 3 because this is actually the imagery of what's going on. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you have a Bible there in front of you or near you, you might want to grab it and follow along. Colossians is in the New Testament. And it reads like this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming." You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, close yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other 
and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, such as members of one body, you will be called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish each other with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's the imagery of what's going on. Just as I had that bundle of nasty clothes that Carolyn only wanted to go into the washing machine, the imagery really is here of filthy clothes. And what Paul is saying to us is we've got to take away these filthy clothes, put them in the washing machine where they're washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and then put on fresh, clean clothes. You know how it is. After you've been out in the garden, or you've been sweating, or you've been exercising, or whatever it is, and you come in, and you're hot, and you're sweaty, and you're dirty, and you take a shower, it feels wonderful. But you don't put the old clothes back on. What do you do? You put new, fresh, clean clothes. And that's the imagery here. And and let's walk through a little bit. I can't walk through the entire passage, but let me walk through a, a, a couple of sets that parallel each other. First, he says, you've got to put aside anger, instant reaction. He's not really, because Paul elsewhere addresses this, he's not really saying you can never feel anger. He's saying you've got to put together, or you've got to put aside acting upon your anger. And that's really what the next kinds of, of behaviors build upon and explain what that means. So first there's anger. Put that aside. Put it in the washing machine to be washed. Next is rage. Rage is then when we intensify the anger. We let the anger build inside of us, and as a result it intensifies, it grows, and it starts to control us and consume us. And then the next piece is malice, because once that happens, we start acting in ways to harm others. We want revenge. We're going to get revenge. We're going to get satisfaction for the anger. And then the next part is slander. And slander is where we move to using our words in anger and in rage to harm others. And from there it grows into filthy language. And definitely filthy language here refers to cussing. But more than that, It really refers to the practice of using our words to hurt others. And it may have less to do with cussing, as we would call it in our culture today, and more with any words that are intended to harm others. Any words that are intended intended to retaliate. Any words that are intended to get revenge. Any words that are intended to put people down and to hurt them. And that's really where the filthy language probably is best understood. Then it moves to lying. Lying is conquered not simply by stopping lying, but it's conquered by being people of the truth and telling the truth. Just because I stop lying doesn't mean I stop being a liar. It's when I put on the truth and start speaking truth that I stop lying. Then finally, in this particular category of things that God says to wash in the washing machine of the blood of Jesus Christ, is racial and class prejudice. Now, back in these days, it was wrapped around gender, male and female. It was wrapped around slave and free. It was wrapped around Hebrew or Jew and Samaritan or barbarian or Scythian. Now, 
you know that in, during these times, if you ain't Jew, you ain't nothing. I mean, that's the way it was. And so there was this racial prejudice. In addition, there was prejudice around class, economic class. Now, as we bring that into today, we have the same categories of prejudice. And all of this is an attempt to evaluate or to value ourselves at the expense of devaluing somebody else. I, uh, my heritage and roots go back to north central Arkansas, the Ozarks. I am a hillbilly. Now, having said that, that conjures all kinds of images, doesn't it? Barefoot, pregnant, dumb, uneducated, dirty, you know, all those kinds. I've been, you know, I've been called so many names when I was a kid. When, you know, what happened to us is when, we, when I was 14, we moved from the Ozarks to 8 Mile and Woodward in downtown Detroit the same time as the riots occurred, just a month before the riots occurred. So you can imagine the culture shock that happened as this 14-year-old kid raised in the Ozarks comes to Detroit, and you can imagine the kinds of things that were said about me. In addition to that, uh, during this time we had some real family difficulties, and so we were within the welfare system, and so we would go to the store with food stamps and those kinds of things. And I was called poor, dumb trash repeatedly as a child. And those things, because of class, because of background, because of economic status, but even within the church and within the uh, uh, university, uh, you can have classifications as well. You can have people valuing one thing and devaluing another. You can have some degrees that are better than other degrees. Those are the real degrees. Those degrees, yeah, they're light degrees, okay? You can have that going on. You, 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 those of you who went to college experienced some of that as well. Economically, we still have prejudice. We have built-in systems sometimes that, if we're not aware of, actually keep people poor, and we have to address those kinds of systemic racism and prejudice. We have all kinds of things that still continue in our society, and Paul is saying, set those aside and replace them with a new set of clothes. And so let's look at the new set of clothes. If you take a look there, you'll see that the first thing is compassion and kindness. Now, compassion and kindness is the ability to look at others with the genuine interest and love of Jesus in your eyes. It's to look at people through the eyes of Jesus, not your eyes. It's to have care for them, to genuinely be interested in what is going on in their life and in the pain and the experiences that they might have and appropriately respond then through care. He follows that with humility. And humility here really is, again, just like the, other, the, the ones we want to put off build on each other, builds on this idea of compassion and kindness. And the humility here that he's talking about is the, the point of putting other people's interest ahead of your own. Valuing them again through Christ's eyes, realizing that we all stand at the cross empty-handed, We deserve nothing. We've earned nothing. We don't need his favor. We need his wrath, technically. If justice were going to be served, we'd all be dead. We'd continue to be dead in our sin and captive to sin. None of us earned our way in. And so humility is this understanding that we are all here totally and completely by the grace of Jesus Christ. I didn't earn it at all. 
And when I keep my eyes on that Jesus and that gift and realize that's the Jesus that was given to me, then what happens is, is we remember a way to act toward people that is Christ-like. After humility, he offers gentleness. And recently, a couple of weeks ago, I experienced gentleness myself. And gentleness isn't some sort of milk toast kind of a deal. But let me explain what happened. I was coming from a breakfast. I was, I was just barely going to make a meeting that I had to make on campus. And I came in the front entrance of the university, which I very rarely do. I come in the lakeside, the backside of, of, the, of the school. And I was going down the main drag. And one of our student maintenance guys stepped out from behind a flower bed and went like this. And I looked down and I said, well, I'm going 22. What's he all worked up about? You know, 20 is the speed limit. And so I smiled and I slowed down a little bit. Later at lunch, he came and found me. And he said, uh, Mr. President, I am so sorry. If I had known it was you, I would never have done that. And I said, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. I don't get a free pass. If my behavior is out of line, you have the right to say it's, out of, it's out, of, out of line. But I was only going two miles over the speed limit. And he just smiled, and he said, well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate your attitude of all of us, you know, being held accountable. But then he had this interesting smile, and he walked away. So the next day, I intentionally went into the front entrance. And I realized when I got in there, there was a speed limit sign that said 15, not 20. <laughs> and so I went looking for him uh, lunch that day, and I said, hey, I've, I've really got to... Um, repent of my behavior because I always thought the speed limit was 20 on campus. And he just smiled and he said, I hoped you would come to that realization. (laughs) That's gentleness. See what he did? See how he did it? And this is a 19-year-old. And I walked away and I said, boy, I wish I were that mature when I was 19. But he had a gentleness to him as he corrected me in a nice way. That's really what gentleness means here. And then from gentleness, we go into patience. And patience is just allowing people freedom and opportunity to grow and to expand and to make mistakes and those kinds of things. You know, one of the things that drives me crazy, I, I, I try to promote risk-taking at the university. I want people to take risk. And I, it, failure is not what we're afraid of. What I preach regularly is don't make the same mistake again. Don't make the same mistake over and over and over again. And as I was studying for this, I realized that patience, as it applies here, would mean, if I, if I go by that standard, patience then would mean that Jesus would have to say to me, quit making the same mistake over and over again. Now, he does. But he gives me latitude. He gives me grace. The Holy Spirit speaks in my life and convicts me, and he gives me time to get there. And I just realized that is really this peace. Peace then is built upon, or patience, I mean, and patience is built upon by forgiveness. Forgive others as Jesus has forgiven you. And it's back again, seeing people and seeing life and seeing ourselves through the eyes of Jesus, not our own eyes. Not the way we've constructed life, but the way Jesus describes life to us. The reality of life is through Jesus, not through how we describe it and define it. And so that's really what's going on here in this area of forgiveness. Why do we forgive others? Because we were forgiven. Why do we forgive others? Because we have no grounds to not forgive. 
We have no grounds to not forgive. And so he says, put these new clothes on as well. And then in this particular category, he moves to peace. And peace is the opposite of fear. Put on peace. Put away fear. Realize that I'm in control. This is talking about ruthless abandonment to our own control and our own expectations and living in trust of Jesus and belief that He is the definer of life and what is good and He will keep His promises and He is faithful and He will care for us no matter what happens, no matter what happens in life. Now, here's the irony, though. The irony is you can't really work on these things directly. Let me say it again. You can't make the decision today going out, you know what, I'm going to be more gentle. No, 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 no. These things result from other things that we do. And that's what Paul then starts to explain to us. It's not a matter of focusing on these things and being more of that, and I'm going to dedicate myself to do that. It's really about these four other things that Paul tells us. And these things then are the natural byproduct of working in these other four areas. And if you look at the the Scripture there, the passage of Scripture, you'll see that it relates to love, truth, worship, and gratitude. Love, truth, worship, and gratitude. So in this section, I guess the real question is, if we are having, we find ourselves having difficulty putting off the old behaviors and putting on the new clean clothes, the question we ought to be asking ourselves is, what is broken in my love relationship with Jesus that I need to fix? Let me say that again. What is broken in my love relationship with Jesus that I need to fix? If I'm having difficulty with forgiveness, patience, or excuse me, with um, uh, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying, and racial prejudice. It's because my love relationship with Christ isn't right. And so he, he says, love is the glue that binds everything together. And whose love? The love of Jesus. We sang about it today. It's the love of Jesus. It's all about the fact that Jesus loves us completely and we can live in that love. The second thing he talks about is truth, that we need to, if we're going to put off and put on this new set of clothes, we need to be studying God's Word. We need to be pursuing God's Word. But remember, truth is defined first and foremost by a person, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when we pursue truth, we are pursuing the triune God. We are pursuing the Jesus But we do that through the Word of God. And so when we study, when we commit, when we go to the Bible regularly, when we try and really know more about Christ like you've been doing in your series here, it is this particular work then that as a byproduct of that, we start to do this work of replacing these clothes. And then there's worship. The question that we need to ask ourselves as we leave today is how was God pleased with the worship that we did today as a congregation? It's not, I didn't like the worship service, or I like the worship service. Certainly, we can talk about that. But the first question is, boy, I pray and hope that God was pleased with our worship today. Because, see, he's the audience. 
Yes, we come and we're ministered to, and I love to worship corporately, and I've been touched and just at times just crying like crazy in a pew as I've worshiped together, but it's really about God. And when we come, there's a way in which we can help others worship or there's a way in which we can distract. Now, certainly, when my son died 18 months ago, I could not worship. I would come and sit in a worship service and allow the people around me to worship for me and lift me up and help me as I dealt with that deep grief. Certainly, there's times like that. But there are other times that the way in which you worship can lift others. And that's really what's being talked about here. Be a community and a person of worship, not just on the weekends, but all week long. An attitude, a lifestyle of worship. And then finally... He talks about being a people of gratitude. The difficulty with gratitude is that we tend to look at what we don't have versus what we have. We have an 85-pound yellow lab. She's three and a half years old. She is the spawn of Satan. <laughs> she, is, she, is, she is unbelievably wild. And lately, we've been working on her uh, diligently. We had to send her to doggy boot camp for four weeks. She was supposed to be there for two weeks, but because of remedial work, she had to stay for four weeks. (laughs) Then they sent me to doggy boot camp because they realized I was the problem and I needed to learn. But one of the things that she does is she demands that you pet her. But here's the problem. When you start petting her, she demands you pet more. And she can never stop. She can never be satisfied with the amount of petting. She will just sit there all day and demand. If I'm taking a day off just hanging out watching football or something like that in my chair, she will be bugging me all day long. And no matter how much time I spend petting her, she will want more. See, ingratitude is focused on what we don't have versus on what we have. Ingratitude is the demand that God owes us more, that life owes us more, that people owe us more, instead of the thankfulness for what we have because we deserve nothing, nothing at all. And so I conclude and transition into communion with this particular question. How is your love relationship with Jesus? How is it? As you listen to these things that Paul shares with us today, how are you progressing? Now, give yourself some time and grow and those kinds of things. I came to Christ in March of 1968, and I'd never, I'd never, I'd only been in church twice for the funeral of my two grandmothers, but I, I, I was totally, completely unaware of what Christianity meant and what it meant to go to church. And people had to give me some time to start maturing and growing. But folks, would you consider as a church and as individuals, and as a result of the study that you're doing now about knowing more about Jesus, would you commit yourself to falling more in love with Jesus this year than you've ever been before? And just letting that take you wherever Christ takes you. And communion is really a physical representation, a remembrance of the sacrifice and this deep, deep love of Jesus and this gift of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for new life in him. And we, we acknowledge again that 
The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, but we as a community, as we help and encourage each other, and as we commit our lives to you in worship, truth, gratitude, and love, we can grow and the Holy Spirit can use this union with Christ to develop us more into the person of Christ. And we do that because we love you in response. We're not doing it out of duty, Father. We do it because you have so loved us and we want to love you back. And so now as we go into communion, bless us as we honor Christ. In his name, amen.